Good morning. Welcome to worship at Northminster Church this morning. Whether you're here in person in our sanctuary or viewing this service over our YouTube channel, we're so happy that you are with us. And if you are here in person, that includes participating in communion. This uh, is God's table open to all. And uh, just follow the instructions in the order of worship uh, at the time of communion. I must mention that Jillian's mom and aunt and other friends are here. Uh, mom and aunt from East Texas, uh, near Longview, uh, and friends from Atlanta. Atlanta. So we especially welcome you this morning, and anytime you want to get on I-20 and head this way, just please feel free to do that, to join us in worship. Uh, as Dr. Gaddy reminded us last Sunday, and as I mostly say every Sunday, for all of us, our first gift of God in worship this morning is the gift of our presence, simply showing up in worship. And to acknowledge your presence, and if you're comfortable doing so, if you would sign the attendance register that you'll find there in the hymn book holder uh, on the uh, inside aisles. Uh, Please always take time to lift up in prayer those mentioned under our prayer concerns in the in, insert in the order of worship. And this morning, please also pray for Carol Ann Tubbs and her family in the sudden passing of her son, Chris, this past week. And also continue to remember Jay Aro as he struggles in the ICU unit in a Shreveport hospital to recover from the serious injuries he received in a recent motorcycle accident. And remember his wife, Anne, who is constantly with him there. And, of course, their two young sons, Henry and Maxwell. Vacation Bible School begins this afternoon at 530 and will extend through Wednesday. If you still need any information about VBS, please see Beth Mayfield after worship. And uh, she will be happy to, uh, to let you know what's happening. Today is a fifth Sunday uh, of the month, so it's time for fifth Sunday lunch uh, today after worship, and everyone is invited to join us at Jade Garden uh, on Forsyth Avenue for this time of food and fellowship together, and of course further welcoming Jillian and Eric into our church family. And we're thankful to Peggy Caskey, Peggy back there on the back row. Uh, for the beautiful and, may I say, celebratory. As a matter of fact, Peggy, I was up here yesterday, and Peggy said she wanted them to, to shout out celebration, and aren't we celebrating today? Anyway, celebratory arrangement of uh, flowers on the communion table this morning. And to Robert Crawford, who's also back there on the back row, for his beautiful and also celebratory uh, creation in the narthex. And as you will see in your order of worship, the flowers are given by the good folks at First Baptist Church of Lewisburg, Pennsylvania to honor Jillian, who was their pastor, and to wish her well here. We're thankful for, for, to them for taking such good care of her while she was their pastor and for so graciously letting her go to come to us. And as usual, after worship, please feel free to take some of the flowers to brighten yours or someone else's week. And that includes those in the narthex. As always, uh, please review the insert in the order of your worship for other announcements and opportunities or check out our newsletter. And now, finally, it is my deep privilege to 
welcome Reverend Jillian Hankammer today as our senior pastor. We have been eagerly anticipating this day for a long time. Of course, husband Eric snuck down a little earlier and has been with us a couple of Sundays before, but we also officially welcome you, Eric, uh, here today. And we all look forward to a long and meaningful time of ministry together. And Jillian will come and help lead us in worship following our minute permissions, which Sherry Free will now come and bring. Sherry. Our missions emphasis for the month of August is the uh, Council on Aging Food Pantry. Uh, Council on Aging was established in 1967 to serve the interest of people 60 and older. I think a few of us may qualify for services there. <laughs> anyway, uh, they provide uh, health emphasis and financial assistance for many, many of our seniors locally. And we are privileged to be able to help uh, fill their food pantry the whole month of August. And they need such things, one meal in a can, like canned meat, canned chili, tamales, corned beef, chicken tuna, chicken and dumplings, um, any kind of meals in cans, canned fruits and soup, rice, peanut butter, jelly, and boxed foods that is a meal in a box. So let's um, honor them this month by filling that trunk out there with these goods for their food pantry. Good morning. It is so good to be with you today. Before I begin, I'd like to say, well, I need to say thank you to all of you. Eric and I have been overwhelmed by your generosity, not just in the pounding. Um, Y'all did maybe a bit too much. Um, but just the generosity of spirit that we have felt coming here. We talked earlier this week, this not only feels momentous, it feels like coming home. Uh, and that's really special. So thank you for that. We are excited to be here. And now if you would, please join me in our call to worship. As we enter into this place, gathering with our beloved family, as we sense the presence of the holy, we are moved to respond. We sing praises, we rejoice in God's goodness. Here we find symbols of God's love for us. Here are reminders of our journey, which has taken us from the bondage of complacency into the freedom of a new understanding of working for justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly with God. May our, let our hearts be tuned to sing God's praise. Be glad and rejoice with our voices, with the pipe, with instruments of strings, and with our bodies as we dance with the spirit of all creation.
give thanks to you, O God, with our whole heart. We sing your praises loudly so that all may hear. Your steadfast love and great faithfulness have exalted your name above all others and your word above everything. In our hour of need, we call on you and you answer. You increase our soul's strength. All earthly rulers shall praise you, for all have heard of and know your greatness. All shall sing of your ways. Great is your glory. O God, who dwells in the highest, you regard the lowly and put the haughty to shame. Though we walk in the dust from that which would harm us, your hand shields us and delivers us. God's purpose is fulfilled in us. O oh God, your steadfast love endures forever. You never will forsake that which you have created. Glory be to you, God, who lives and dwells among us. As it was from the beginning of time, is now and ever shall be. Friends, let's pray together. God of all new things, God of spring and fragrant flowers, sticky summer heat and much-needed rain, God of hope and new life, bless us, we pray, on this day of beginnings. Creator God, from whom all life springs, we give you thanks, and we come together to celebrate and rejoice. We celebrate the things that have passed away and those things that have become new because all of them have brought us here to this moment together. God of all things, God of yesterday, the one who is with us in our despair and our fear, who sighs and weeps with us and then wipes away our tears, we offer up these prayers of concern this day. For those struggling to rebuild lives from natural disasters, especially those dealing with flooding in Kentucky and St. Louis. For all of those struggling with the effects of inflation, for the people of Ukraine and Uvalde, for national and local leaders that they may lead with wisdom and a sense of servanthood. We pray for those struggling with illness and injury, particularly for the Aro and Tubbs families. Hear us when we pray, loving God. Incline your ear to our words and needs, whether they, we express them silently in shouted cries or mournful whispers. Be gentle with our suffering, with our sorrows and losses, and especially when our hearts close us off to you. Anoint us with your touch so that the softness of your love can break into our hardness and open us anew. Living God, Father, Son, Mother, daughter, family, friend, all one with, through, and by, your love becomes reconciled. So today we celebrate and rejoice. The old has passed away, and in you, in your resurrection, in your life and love, everything becomes new. Amen. <laughs>
A reading from 2 Samuel. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Look, we are your bone and flesh. For some time, while Saul was king over us, it was you who led out Israel and brought it in. The Lord said to you, It is you who shall be shepherd of my people Israel, you who shall be ruler over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years. At Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and at Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judea 33 years. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. David and all the people with him set out and went from Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned on the cherubim. They carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinabab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God, and Ahio went in front of the ark. David and all the house of Israel were dancing before the Lord with all their might, with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen lurched. It was told King David, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed an ox and a fatted calf. David danced before the Lord with all his might. David was girded with a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. They brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place, inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and offerings of well-being before the Lord. When David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the offerings of well-being, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed food among all the people. The whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, to each a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins. Then all the people went back to their homes. David returned to bless his household, but Michal, the daughter of Saul came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today, 
uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants' maids as any vulgar fellow might shamelessly uncover himself. David said to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me in place of your father and all his household to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. I will dance before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be humbled in my own eyes. But by the maids of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. An ancient story which speaks to us today. Thanks be to God. Thank you for reading all that. I know that was quite a chunk of scripture. <laughs> but you need all the context for the story to make sense. And thank you all for singing that hymn. That is my favorite hymn. We sang it in my ordination. I sang it with my folks in Pennsylvania last week, and now I've gotten to sing it with you, so it's very special. Let's pray together. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. And may we hear a word from you today. Amen. I'll never forget the time my dad ran into another church member at the liquor store. <laughs> Being from a small town, it wasn't uncommon for us to see church friends when we were out and about. As a teenager, I knew better than to try anything the cool kids were doing because I was going to get caught. Someone from the church would see me and tell my parents. Then I went to college. I went to Stephen F. Austin State University in my hometown. Still couldn't get away with anything, and I had about a half dozen church members as professors. <laughs> so if I failed a class, somebody was going to know about it. So when my dad ran into this church member at the liquor store, it was a moment to remember. What is a Baptist to do in this situation, he wondered. <laughs> to make the moment even more wonderful and delicious, this wasn't just any church member. This was Dr. Archie McDonald a founding member of my home church, beloved professor of history at the university, a pillar of the community. His wife was the mayor for several years. After Dad spotted Archie, he kind of sidled over and jokingly said, well, Archie, what did you Baptists do when they see each other in the liquor store? <laughs> Without taking his eyes off whatever he was planning to buy, Archie replied, well, we keep our heads down, don't acknowledge each other, and we save the handshake for church on Sunday so nobody thinks we're dancing. <laughs> like it or not, accurate or not, when most people think of Baptists, they think of a list of no's. No drinking, no smoking, no gambling, no dancing. We are stereotypically people who love casseroles, Pyrex, potlucks, and going to great lengths to avoid anything that smacks of fun and therefore sin. And while I already know that this congregation does not hold to those prohibitions, you don't define yourselves that way, people probably don't even know this is a Baptist church when they walk in the door, I have spent this week wondering what it would take to get you to dance. How good would the sermon have to be for Dr. Gaddy to tap dance? <laughs> 
how much choral music would it take for Debbie to skip down the aisle after worship? <laughs> David isn't here, but if he was, would it be possible to inspire him and Mark to waltz around the sanctuary during the prelude? I know Patty Pate is on the worship committee. If D.H. played the right song, would she lead us in a congregational conga line? <laughs> of course, these suggestions are silly, they make us laugh, they sound outlandish, right? This is not the kind of respectful worship behavior we teach our children. Until you consider the story of David dancing before the Lord. Our verses begin in 2 Samuel chapter 5, which marks the culmination of David's rise from shepherd boy to shepherd king. It's also completing the story of Israel's transition from a federation of tribes to a united monarchy with a capital city. Now, if you think back, you'll remember that in 1 Samuel, the elders of Israel demand a king from God. Eventually, the Lord relents, says, you're not going to like it, but here you go, and sends the prophet Samuel to appoint Saul as the king. Saul's reign is what you could call less than successful, due in large part to his jealousy of David. And despite Saul's daughter, Michal, marrying David and David's befriending of his son, Jonathan, David is continually pursued by Saul, who becomes homicidal. 2 Samuel, where we are this morning, begins with David hearing that Saul and Jonathan have been killed in battle, and then journeying to the capital city of Hebron, where the people of Judah, that's the southern kingdom, anoint him king. A long war then ensues between David and Saul over, uh, or excuse me, Saul's son, Ishbal, over the northern kingdom of Israel. So Israel's in the north, Judah's in the south. This morning's text picks up after Ishbal's death, as David is now being anointed king of Israel, thus uniting both of these kingdoms together. Once he's anointed, David designates Jerusalem as the capital of this newly united kingdom because it's conveniently located between the north and the south. And then to cement this capital city and his kingship, David puts together a massive procession to move the Ark of the Covenant from where it's been kept at Baal Judah to Jerusalem. So there's all the background for you. Now, keep in mind the Ark is extremely important because it functions as God's throne, a visible place for God's invisible presence. The belief is that if the Ark is present, God is present. And David, being a shrewd politician, understands the value of being able to deliver a visible sign of the Lord's presence and dominion into his new capital. Unfortunately, and and this didn't get read, but unfortunately, the, the procession is interrupted a bit. An oxen pulling the cart stumbles. To steady the ark, uh, Uzzah, in the story, reaches out and touches it, like any of us would. God is immediately angered and kills Uzzah on the spot for daring to touch the ark. Angry and afraid of God, David leaves the ark. He leaves it in the home of Obed-Edom. 
and then only returns to get the ark to come back to this home after the entire household has been blessed, kind of a clearing out of what has happened. The second time around, when David comes back for the ark, it's more successful. Nobody touches it, nobody drops dead, and there is dancing. He is dancing before the Lord in his linen ephod. David and all the house of Israel were told, bring the ark to Jerusalem with shouting and the sound of the horn. The only damper on this otherwise successful, joyful occasion is David's wife and Saul's daughter, Michal, who chastises David for his dancing. If you didn't pick up on it, their heated exchange is the death knell of their relationship. So, there's a lot going on in these verses. This is a big story, a lot happening. What should our takeaway be? It seems a bit odd. Well, the first one requires you to read through the lines a bit to see it. And it's the idea of not being overly familiar with God. What I mean by that is not that we shouldn't have a relationship with God. I believe our God is relational. I also don't mean that we shouldn't invest ourselves into that relationship. But as one of my church members in Pennsylvania said about this text once, God isn't anyone's buddy. And we lose something vital when we tame and domesticate the Almighty. Too often, folks throw around phrases like, Jesus is my homeboy. Does anybody remember that t-shirt from years ago? <laughs> or, Jesus is my boyfriend. Uh, that's real. Google it. It's, it's a little scary. But people do that without thinking about what that familiarity means. In making God that familiar, we negate the holy, the ineffable majesty of God. Because we forget that she is both our shelter in a time of storm and the creator of the universe. This biblical text talks about people fearing God, not because God is scary or intends us harm, but because such power, such majesty, is uniquely inhuman. We do not have the capacity to take in all that God is. That is why you'll remember Moses' hair turns white at Mount Sinai. Jacob limps forever after his all-night wrestling match because they both encounter the presence of God and somehow survive. And while the death of Uzzah in this morning's story is harsh, without a doubt, when we zoom out and take a look at the whole picture, we see that this plan of David's to go get the ark was flawed from the beginning. In his excitement, in his triumph, David's preparation is non-existent. This is flawed. This is never going to work. And he has set his people up to fail because he doesn't treat the ark with proper reverence. This isn't just some box that you can toss onto any old cart and roll to a new city. This is the very presence of God that traveled with the Israelites through the wilderness. The word of God is laced into the grain of the wood. It is in the weight of the gold. David should know this. He should know how holy and sacred this ark is, but he gets excited. He gets careless. He gets too familiar, and Uzzah dies. 
Now that's difficult for us to wrap our heads around it. Seems senseless. Seems like an overreaction. But the story serves, as Dr. Elena K. Solving points out, as a reminder that the divine presence and power that accompany the ark are not under David's control. The story serves as a reminder that the divine presence and power that accompany the ark are not under David's control. And friends, neither are they under ours. Now, our other takeaway this morning is the exact opposite of the first. We're going to be opposites this morning. We should not be so reverent and chaste. We forget to dance. McCall, Saul's daughter, David's wife, disapproves of his dancing because it's outside of her definition of kingly behavior. To her credit, David is only wearing a linen ephod, basically a skirt, a kilt, and dancing with all of his might, the text says. I can't imagine any of us could hold ourselves back if our spouse or partner decided to high-step it down Loop Road in just their kilt. (laughs) But in chastising David, Michal misses the point. In this moment, everything David has is God's. His love, his body, his kingship, even his modesty. After his first misstep with the ark, when Uzzah dies, he has given himself over fully to the Lord and dances not to celebrate himself, not to celebrate his body, but for the sheer joy of his union with God that has brought him to this point. He will not be defined by what his wife considers kingly because his defining directive comes from the Lord. And much like Aziz's attempt to be helpful costs him his life, fair or not, McCall's attempt to remind David of his dignity comes at the cost of her marriage and future children. So my friends, as we consider the balancing act of familiarity and not being needlessly reverent, what would it take for you to dance before the Lord? As a highly liturgical congregation that is very specific about how worship is done, What would it take for you to not worry about what others think and simply move in joy for God? Now, let me be clear. I have no expectation that Northminster become charismatic or Pentecostal in our worship. That isn't who you are. That isn't who I am. I'm assuming most of us have no gift for speaking in tongues. I can almost so promise if any of you show up in a linen ephod, I'm sending you home to change. And... I think we can agree that no matter how much the spirit moves us, we're not going to dance around with snakes because we're not going to be protected from that. (laughs) But what would it look like for us to be so caught up in love with God that we stop caring about what people think? What would you need to experience in worship to simply let your body move in joy of being present with God? How can we as a church support everyone who comes into these doors so fully that all reverent and sincere expressions of worship and love for the Lord are understood as good and holy and acceptable? After all, my friends, you are, we are now together, that church and those Baptists, people don't know how to define. So why not be Baptists who dance?
And now my friends, here's a 